The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Roadwire Prospect Podcast brought to you by WinBet. I am your host, James Anderson, and this week... Um, very happy to be joined by Chris Welsh, who uh, I've done dozens of podcasts with over the years and who is fortunate enough to be out in Arizona. So who better to bring on to talk about prospects than a guy who's been out on the backfields getting eyes on them all spring? Chris, how you doing? What's up, buddy? Dozens. I don't know. I mean, I'd say close. I feel like it's close to like 100. It's probably not, but a lot of podcasts. Uh, prospect one had you on itl i've done your shows we have uh we if we go more than two months without a show there might be like a check-in we usually have we're like hey what's up buddy like both of us we're like checking in with each other to make sure that we're good but uh yeah it's good to be on good to talk prospects and i am a little i gotta tell you a little sad not just a little congested from uh being out so much and the allergies are horrible in arizona but i'm like a tiny bit sad because Today, as we're recording, represented the end of all of the minor league spring training that was going on out here. It's awesome that minor league season is going to you know, start up, but I've had the freedom on, on a given day being able to like cruise out and see three different teams on their backfields and see, you know, double A here and single A here. And here's the Dodgers and here's the Rangers and getting to see these guys in person kind of on a whim. You could almost cover the entire Cactus League in a week of minor league prospects. And that's gone so like I'm a little lonely. It's kind of like your kids growing up and leaving the house and I'm like empty nester. So I'm just like, okay, I want to talk about prospects. Okay, that's cool. I got nothing else to do. <laughs> yeah, Arizona's the absolute best for yeah. watching a ton of baseball with minimal effort. I mean, you could just get everywhere, like you said, in less than yeah. an hour. Uh, so what I wanted to do today is I want to start off by getting three prospects who surprised you in a positive way and one prospect who maybe surprised you a little bit in a negative way. And then I want to talk about all these big leaguers who broke camp with their teams. I think it's just so fun and so cool that uh, it actually happened with a bunch of these guys. So it's just going to be uh, a heck of an opening day, but uh, let's, let's start on the backfields uh, since that's where you are spending a ton of your time or we're spending a ton of your time. Uh, give me one prospect who after you saw him kind of positively uh, impressed you this spring. Now there's a lot of different ways to go with this. I've talked about some of these different guys. Uh, a couple of the ones I had, I just want to mention is big name. I might have a couple big names. Uh, I got one smaller name. We could obviously go in a couple other directions of guys I've talked about that might 
you know, might have been uh, less known to everybody else. But the first one's just a big name guy. And I thought it was really important because I got to see everything up front and was Jack Leiter. So, you know, might not 100% qualify for maybe what you were looking for when you say, hey, who's a guy that positively uh, affected? Well, that was Leiter. I mean, that top end of starting pitchers is kind of difficult to navigate. I think it's Grayson Rodriguez. You could throw Shane Boz in there. And then there's this big, huge clump of guys. There's the Myers, there's the Kirby's, there's the Cavalli's. Lighter sits somewhere in that general area for people, but the thing he doesn't have comparative to the rest of these guys is any professional track record for us to go off of. He didn't pitch last year after being drafted. He uh, he stuck around at Vanderbilt. He came over here for a tiny bit. He did some instructs, but he didn't do anything. So when the CBA got agreed upon, the very first thing that happened is a lot of the facilities were not open where the Rangers and Royals not only opened up their facilities, but they said in honor of this, they were going to run a scrimmage game. And that scrimmage game featured the Rangers putting out Jack Leiter and the Royals putting out Bobby Witt. And I had tweeted about it, got a lot of traction on the Bobby Witt front because I think I was one of the first to, to tweet out and show, hey, Bobby Witt's at third base. There's nothing else that's going on. I think we all kind of presumed it, but he was starting at third base. But in that game, lighter through, and I got, I happened to sit right behind home plate. You know, I have an angle. There's one thing I'm known for. It's my angle of video that I go and then James has seen me do it. And anybody that's been around me see, I go up, I sit, there's netting and I get the camera right in between the netting. So I get this really cool view and it's kind of become my view. I couldn't get that on this one, but I just so happened to be sitting behind home plate in front of the radar gun they put out there. So I was like, I got to do this more often. This is great. Because every pitch, I got to see the velocity. And I was calling them on some video I had. Now, the idea of the positive impression here is that Jack Leiter is obviously a top pitching prospect. But he sat somewhere in that clump. And I have seen Kirby pitch in person. I have not seen Meyer and Cavalli in person. But I've seen a lot of these other guys. And I have reference points to them. Nick Lodolas, Hunter Greens. And Leiter was immensely impressive in his first professional debut. He dominated every single one of the hitters except Bobby Witt. Vinny Pasquantino was in that lineup. Vinny couldn't do anything against him. Uh, all the other guys, they didn't have a whole bunch. Of, I think they might have had like Peyton Wilson and a few others, not big names. Bobby Witt obviously had his number. Bobby Witt went three for three in the game. I uh, didn't get crazy good contact. He had one good single that went to left field. But what was impressive in all that missed time was how locked in lighter was he was sitting 90 i want to say 95 96 the whole time he touched 98 he was throwing off his secondaries his slider was disgusting he had multiple strikeouts he had a little bit of a command issue as he got further in he hit a guy on the shoulder but what you could see was a guy that was ready and commanding with multiple pitches and then what was it like a week ago we got the aggressive assignment of double a and I think that shows you how far along he is. And I know everybody, every time you talk about these guys, they're like, oh, hey, when's he coming up? Is he going to be up this year? Like, no, he's not going to be up this year. But they gave him a double-A assignment. And this is a guy that had three-plus pitches. He had a little bit of wonkiness with command, but he was one of those dominant pitchers in college. So, you know, this isn't an out-of-absolutely-nowhere guy that positively improved, but this is a guy that I got to see out there look like a frontline starter. The only guy he struggled against just made the major leagues and might be a 2020 guy. And I felt personally like lighter, maybe separated himself from the bottom of that pitching clump 
and he does belong. And I don't think a lot of people have him there. I do think he belongs in that Meyer, Cavalli, Kirby territory. And if you want to think of like high-end future bets, maybe above, because I really think he, this is not a relief risk. This is a frontline type of starter with a guy who had very little working with his organization, was topping out at 98 in his first, you know, spring game. So I felt really, really good. So hopefully that's kind of what you were looking for, James, in that one, because I thought he beat expectations with uh, the pitches that we saw in person. And everybody doesn't have a, a ref point of reference at this point. You know, it's going to be like Friday, Saturday. Your guys are going to get to see him on television. And I think you're going to see like Vanderbilt uh, versions of Jack Leiter back out there in double A. Yeah, no, that's great. I think people would love to hear that, especially since we didn't get to see him last year. Uh, I, you know, my my pitching ranks are probably more jumbled than you're even making it out to be. Uh, like, I don't, I don't necessarily follow that same consensus, but uh, I and, and there's more guys, by the way, I want to add in, like, I just kind of kept throwing out the same names of guys, but you throw more in there's Lodolos, there's green, there's Uri Perez's, there's Detmers, there's Espina. I mean, it's this giant clump of guys. I didn't mean to make it about four guys. I mean, in my eyes, it might be, I don't know, 10 to 12 guys that are not, even if the rank was 40 spots in my mind, they're almost in the same tier. You know, the, the ranks are kind of subjective in numbers and people get really focused on numbers. Uh, but do you agree? Is it like there's like after maybe the top one or two or maybe even just throw them in? It's a big clump of 12 to 10 to 12 pitchers that look relatively, quote, elite. I mean, I think it's more. I mean, it's I, like more. I, I've got like I've got 28 pitchers in my top 100 uh, for the update that went up on Monday. And they're all just awesome. Uh, they're all like I could make a strong case for any of those guys uh, like like let me can i ask you something real quick sure who is 28 uh edward cabrera okay and who is one shane boss okay so how far of a different like what like what is your separator that's those are two fantastic names by the way like what is the biggest separator between edward cabrera and uh, shane boss in your mind and how far is it separated um that makes sense how I'm saying that? Like, not numerically. I don't care about numerically, but, like, from a from the prospect standpoint of, like, there's all these guys in between them, and it's a big clump, and you can make arguments. Like, how far off is the argument of Edward to oh, Shane? Yeah, Bob? I mean, like, if... I mean, this is probably an argument for not... Uh, like, you should never... I don't think you should... So, like, everything you said about Jack Leiter, I, I would not trade for Jack Leiter right now. I, I don't think you should ever be trading for these guys oh, uh, such a good when, yeah when people are high on them like i think you've you've missed your window on a pitching prospect once people agree that they're really good and part of why you should never do that is like i wouldn't be surprised if two years from now edward cabrera was more valuable in fantasy than shane boz even though i've got him like 75 spots apart on my rankings it's look just, at joe ryan look at joe joe ryan yeah. was not a top 100 prospect forever and he's the opening day starter for the twins right now to your point yeah i mean i i i'm pushing guys up based on proximity uh as much as ever I, i've, I've got more like you know well. people are mad about me not having uri perez or daniel Spino in my top 10 it's just all about how much 
things can go wrong um, in the next year or so before those guys debut. But if you want to put those guys up top, like they're talented enough to to justify that. To your point with those guys as well, I just want to point out is like this is the world's worst time to trade for Yuri Perez. Like what you said, to, I know you were doing it blanket. That's to all the, that is to Yuri Perez specifically. This is the worst time to trade for him. He will cost you everything. Same with Daniel Espino. Um, I just did a a bold prediction show that you were on on Prospect One, and I think it was Jeff Jeff Ponce that had Daniel Espino like number one pitching, pro, you know, like top ten overall or something like that. Like those two. They're far away. Maybe people are getting mad at you, but it's also the absolute worst time of worst times to trade for those guys as far as valuations. And I've done a, a, kind of the same thing as you. It's like I've, I've moved up a whole lot. I don't have a, I think I maybe have two or one sub 20 year old pitcher and sub 22 year old in my top 100, maybe three, three or four total. The only teenager I have in my top 100 is Zuri Press on the pitching side. No Job. No, no. Uh, I don't think Abel is a team. No, I, no, those guys. No, uh, I honestly didn't even consider Job or Abel for the top 100 because of how far I think they are away. Uh, but like, if you just wanted to lay out the pitches and say, well, he's got this many plus pitches or projects for this many plus pitches, that's just not how I rank pitching prospects anymore. Like, yeah, yeah. I really try to factor in how much risk there is with each guy. Uh, but like, lighter. You know, even though we haven't seen him pitch, just like we haven't seen Job pitch, Leiter could be up next year, so he's comfortably inside my top 100, but he's not in my top 75 yet. Uh, just yeah. because... And I think he, and I think the big thing is he will be as soon as yeah. you see. As I, he like checks... I think that that's something that people uh, should sort of expect expect to happen. Um, yeah, but and they... that was my point of bringing him up too. Is like you're you're bringing up the the best point here that makes me feel better about talking about him because sometimes I think you struggle with this I struggle with this as people that talk about prospects like sometimes everybody wants us to talk about all the guys I had people hitting I had somebody hit me up like hey in your bold predictions you didn't even talk about Corbin Carroll or in your live looks you didn't even talk about Corbin Carroll and someone you saw and it's like yeah you're right I guess I just always talk about him and I assume so you you have this struggle like do you talk about the top guys or do is everybody only ever want guys that no one's thinking of and the next big guy but to your point you don't have him in the top 75 he wasn't being drafted usually unless it was a points league in the top six let's say in first year player drafts and it's because there's not a lot of stuff going on there's not a lot of buzz he wasn't playing in games he wasn't pitching a whole bunch it was very behind the scenes and my point to all of that is is i think he checks a lot of boxes for you he's going to be closer he got an aggressive assignment he will be closer he's got three ish plus pitches if not you know at worst two he's got an arsenal to work with he's got bloodlines and he's got pretty good command he can get wonky in like a mckenzie gorish type of way sometimes but i think he is um i think he's more fluid about it and he's a guy that based off of what I saw, if you had him in the lower part of the 100s, I think he is going to jump into the upper tier, whomever fits that group. You know, maybe Meyer and Kirby, whoever don't fit that top five, six, seven overall SPs in your mind. Uh, but whoever is in that group, I think that's where Lighter will sit. I think he will firmly by June 1st. I think for you, he will be inside your top 50, knowing you how I do. It's quite. It's quite possible. Or outside the top 150. You know what? I Sometimes I don't know. I don't know. He'll either be inside the top 150 or he'll be off the list. I'm not really 100% sure. Um, 
Okay, who's the who's the number two guy that Im- impressed you? Okay, the number two guy. It's one more big name, and I again I apologize. I'm I'm going down this road a little bit, and the third one people are gonna like know as well. But uh, I, and I did bounce back and forth with uh, well, you know, what? I'm gonna give you a choice. I'm gonna give you a choice on this. Dustin Harris or Christian Hernandez? Who do you want to talk about? Uh, let's do Christian Hernandez because you. And everyone, if if you like this podcast, you should 100% be listening to the Prospect One podcast and Welsh on the podcast I was on that got released earlier this week talked about Dustin Harris for a good yeah. five minutes there. So people can go check that pod out if they want to hear about Dustin Harris. But let's talk about Christian Hernandez. Okay. And I had him on the list and I deleted him in favor of Christian Robbins, uh, Christian Hernandez. We can talk about Christian Robinson as well uh, because I really love the stuff we saw with Dustin Harris. But Christian Hernandez has been a really fascinating case. So this is another guy that he has all the buzz in the world and he has no American stateside track record. He played in the Dominican Summer League last year where he had 285, five homers, 21 stolen bases, looked pretty good. Um, you know, But most sites by people, kind of the skinny kid. I think sometimes Cubs prospects have the hype that become then underwhelming. I think people are kind of ready for that. I think, you know, Pete Crow Armstrong, Ed Howard is a prime example of that where people kind of go in and out. I think a lot don't know what to make of Preciado or Alcantara and Christian Hernandez has all of the buzz. I've been hyper aggressive on him, but I got to catch a game. Uh, they were running their uh, minor league spring training and it was nice because the Giants came over and it was actually a chance to see, um, oh God, I think Ryan Reckley, the top international prospect for the Giants was out there and Christian Hernandez was there and Reckley got um, just decimated by the way you know, stateside stuff. All these guys were really getting taken advantage of. What stood out though, were a couple things on how Christian Hernandez has been presenting himself and the guys he's been working with. He had been working in all of the workouts pretty exclusively with like the Alcantaras and the Preciados, which I think is a really good thing. The standout BP is, it takes notice. You immediately take notice, but also the body and the presentation of how he's been putting himself up at bat. So one of the bats I have, he did strike out. Uh, but it was a it was looking striking out and he was very visual. So something that stood out to me, especially with young guys, is you see like hyper aggression. These guys will come up, swing through their shoes, especially if they've got like a really pretty swing or if they've got really good bat speed. Sometimes they're going to just like, you know, they're going to work on that. They're going to sit off speed because that's where they struggle. And they're like, well, I'll catch back up. Or Hernandez did something that I thought was really interesting in the bats that I saw where he seemed hyper, hyper uh, plate appearance oriented or plate discipline oriented, which I thought was nice. Uh, One of the first pitches that came in, came in kind of high on the corner. He didn't swing on it and he was shaking his head. He was like, nope, like he knew exactly what the zone was. And he took a couple good hacks that he didn't get quite control of, but man, you could see the wrist just turn on it. He exploded on the ball. There wasn't a whole lot of like, uh, another thing you'll notice with guys, Julio Rodriguez is a prime example. Julio Rodriguez used to be like, Really, I'm doing a visual here. He used to be like, like really like bat on his shoulder kind of behind. And if you've noticed as he's progressed, and a lot of guys do, the bat kind of starts to come more forward and it doesn't go so far back on their shoulder or behind their head. And it just kind of goes forward. And you notice a lot of guys that have success when they make that change. Joe Adele, I think, has been another example of that. When you just kind of bring it around your shoulder, don't bring it too far back. There's less movement and less reactionary time for them that they can explode on the ball. And that's what smart, at least from my eye, I'm not a you know professional scout or anything, but these guys that 
are able to explode on the ball when they don't have the bat so far back, they can just explode and turn the wrist. That's a good thing. I already see that with Christian Hernandez. And then in the at bat at the end, he struck out and he was pissed and he immediately looked and he was shaking his head. He's like, no way. And now it, it was a really small thing in my eyes, but for a young guy without stateside experience to already start showing off the plate discipline, I thought was impressive. He explodes on the ball. He's got quick hands. I thought his body looked more advanced than you would think. They list him at six, uh, six two, one seventy five, and it's pretty chiseled and it doesn't feel skinny. And I think, I think we're going to see a big season from him. You know, he's got a lot of high expectations and it's hard again for me to pick a guy that's like, Hey, you know, who's a guy that, you know, really impressed you in a positive way. It did. It didn't change where I upped his rank, but I thought it gave me validation on I'm a, I'm incredibly high and in a world where proximity and I've, I've stated this a lot over the last six months. Like I think proximity is going, we're going to have an era of proximity with prospects over the next couple of years where you know, in the past, Julio Rodriguez and Wander Franco's, you know, they got away with a whole lot of stuff and we were right. But I think there's going to be a lot of proximity based stuff where people are going to say, yeah, this is cool. I really like these young guys, but I need guys now and I'm looking for production now. So as much as Christian Robinson uh, or I, I keep seeing Christian Robinson, as much as Christian Hernandez is super fun, I would rather have um, Miguel Vargas, you know, that is going to be a really good bat and is, you know, going to have two or three years on him. Or, you know, I would rather have a Jeremy Pena, which that might be a legitimate fun debate of Jeremy Pena who has production now versus Christian Hernandez. So proximity is going to, I think, lower the value of younger guys. I've got him incredibly high, incredibly, incredibly high, because I think by next year he could be a top 10 overall uh, prospect. And some of the stuff I saw early on in camps really impressed me, how he carries himself, uh, how stateside he's been. He's been here since Instructs. And I think uh, he's going to play complex is my assumption. He's going to be extended. I think he's going to destroy complex ball. And then he'll hit low A later this year. And next year, we'll be looking at him hitting high A and really moving uh, through. And I think he'll be pretty unanimously the top guy with the Cubs. Uh, once Brandon Davis comes off the list, we won't we won't really be discussing you know, a tier, it'll just be Christian Hernandez. So I, the, the, the plate discipline stuff really stands out to me. And even though it was small sample sizes and I don't have some big Homer to go with Hernandez stood out, man. And I don't know how you feel about him with proximity. Cause he's a tough one. He is a decent ways away, but the CBA just showed us, you know, 20 and 21 year old guys being able to make the majors. He is one of three 18 year olds in my top 50. Um, Only three. Oh, that's a, you know, I wonder how many 18 year olds I have. That's a good question. I've got him at 46. Uh, the other one is Khalil Watson and uh, Yuri Perez, who we just talked about. Um, I, have so. all th- I have all three of those. I also have Preciado, and I do have uh, Roderick Arias. So those are my only guys. I'm, I'm, I tend to be a little bit more aggressive on the future plays of international guys. So I think I've got five 18-year-olds. So, like, to your point, uh, I got um, – not only did I get – like, and I, we're doing this Highlander startup draft, um, and you're, you're not in the league, but, like, I, I'm i kind of doing a play for next year strategy, and proximity was just getting so pushed up in this, this draft. I, uh, I was able to get Ellie De La Cruz, Christian Hernandez, Kevin Alcantara um, – just kind of 
people just didn't want to wait on those guys. And to me, it's, it's, I think it's like proximity is extremely important, but then there's going to be a half dozen to a dozen guys every year where you can kind of see that meteoric ceiling and, uh, and pinpointing those guys is like the important thing. It's actually right. a cool thing that you can do. I've always been, we, we spent so many years back in the day. If, if people have been following for a while, uh, before the Highlander, there was the Roto wire, uh, invitational, mm-hmm. which we played in and we called it the Tom Trudeau, uh, strategy of where, you know, he went out and he completely punted the first year and subsequently punted the second year and the third year. I didn't like the strategy at the time from a consumer standpoint, because the thing I wanted to point out is cool as it was. And, and he nailed on guys as cool as it was. Do I want to be the person that goes out there and suggests to people, Hey, why don't you eat that money that you're paying in your league for two or three years? Just eat it, throw away, burn it. As a matter of fact, I think that's really tough to do, but there's a place for it and people want to do it and you have a freedom. And so when you punt that first year, you have a free, I just had somebody ask me, they have a dynasty coming up on, on Wednesday and they had said, Hey, would it be crazy on a, in a 12 man on the turn to go wit and Julio? And I was like, no, it's not crazy. I mean, I have them inside the top 20 and may it's not quite punty, but maybe it becomes a little bit. And then, you know, if you get those type of guys, it gives you the freedom to take more proximity prospects. And then a little bit later, exactly what you're saying and what you are taking advantage of when people are like, okay, I'm winning now, I'm winning now, and I'm, I, I need these guys that are going to come up really soon. Give me J.J. Blade. You can go out and you can take advantage by you're essentially buying an extra year of the elite of the guys with the elite potential of the Ellie's of the, I mean, I bet Yuri Perez got pushed up, but you know, even the road, you might not be as big on the international class. And I think there's a bigger question with it, but you know, the Roderick Ariases and stuff like that, like where no one would even consider them. You can do it when you know this first year just doesn't even matter. Like who cares about this first year? So I, I can like the strategy, except in a big, like in that instance, the 20 man league where you punt, you're not punting for one year. You're punting for probably three years at best until it gets right. And I think that's tough to tell our listeners when you're paying money and stuff like that. That's a whole nother thing. Right. I mean, you like the, if you know, a dynasty league is going to last for 10 or 15 years, the Trudeau strategy is a brilliant strategy, but uh, he never got to capitalize on that in the run of our dynasty. Because because exactly what you said, it folded. The league didn't last. It it lasted, I think three years. And, And literally when it was time, the league was gone and he had, you know, his Acuna's and Vladimir Guerrero's and that didn't get to work out. So that was a, literally a, a case study uh, of three years to prove the point of where I was going. And exactly what you're saying is as fun as it can be burning multiple years of money where a league can end is why most of us are like, Hey, let's play for win now for the most part. But there is a, you're doing a unique, I'd love to see the team. I don't think I've seen the team. You can do a, I can't do it this year but I'm going to kill it next year strategy. Uh, And you can build it around most likely you. And you tell me if I'm wrong in that strategy, in my mind, I'm building it around those hitters. I'm building around hitters that are one year away. And then I'm probably taking middle line pitching and stuff like that, because I feel like pitchers take longer to mature. So, I mean, not saying I wouldn't take Ludolos and greens and stuff like that, but I feel like it's like a, you know, where um, a hitter can come up and maybe take a year to really move like uh, Odell. I feel like pitching usually takes two or three years unless your name is Trevor Rogers. <laughs> yeah, no, it it's uh, and I'll actually, uh, I'll be writing about uh, that draft uh, later today here for the cool. site, but um, got to read it. Uh, 
going to head to a quick message from our sponsors, but when we come back, uh, Welsh will give us his third hitter from the backfield who impressed him this spring. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. WinBet is now the exclusive sponsor for Rotowire's fantasy podcasts. WinBet brings you all the latest action with a user-friendly interface, money line bets, boosted parlays, over-unders, round robins, live betting, and so much more at your fingertips. Want a break from sports betting? Head into WinBet's digital casino and take a spin on roulette, double down in blackjack, slam the slots, or try your hand at Baccarat. WinBet is currently available in nine states, Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, and Virginia, while rapidly expanding. At WinBet, the possibilities are limitless. Register for WinBet today, make a qualifying deposit, and wager to receive $200 in free bets. Promotion may vary by state. Download WinBet now. That's W-Y-N-N-B-E-T. WinBet, the exclusive partner for Rotowire's fantasy podcast. All right, Welsh, uh, we're back, and let's let's hear the third guy who impressed you in Arizona. 
It is probably it's not going to be like a big surprise, but I think it's important to talk about and I'd like to talk about with you. And I think there's there's other guys that could have made this list and I gave a uh, hard thought to uh, Victor Acosta with the Padres is one of those guys I, I've chatted about. Um, and again, there's just a, there's a handful of others from Evan Carter's to Everson Ortega with the uh, with the Giants have all had some impression. But the number one guy that was the most impressive to me, and I just don't think you and I have talked about him, is Davison De Los Santos. And I'm a little behind the eight ball because I know and they, you know, when when someone likes a prospect nowadays, uh, <laughs> uh, James, they don't do it on podcasts as they tweet about it. They tweet about it. They quote tweet their tweet that they tweeted about it. And they let you know about that. They love the prospect. So people will tell you that they love De Los Santos before uh, anybody. And that's totally okay. And like, like many guys as of recent that have really popped. I don't like being like this sometimes, but there are instances where I look at these guys and I'm like, okay, I see the surface. I see the stuff, but like, I need to like visually be in person to really buy into some of the hype that some people get. And to, to credit, I think there are some guys that have really been thrown out there. Davis and De Los Santos, not one guy made me go, whoa, more than him during the spring. He was the biggest whoa moment I had. And I tweeted about it. it happened on the backfields where I have this really cool picture. It was another moment where I saw Alec Thomas for the first time in spring. And I was like, holy crap, what was he doing in the offseason? He looks huge. He looks huge. And I'm not even sure if the you know, like game at bats and stuff really show how big he looks in person, especially if you have a comparison, but there's this photo I have. It's De Los Santos, Carol and uh, Thomas doing BP and De Los Santos is up in like the second, I think it's the second round of BP and he just crushes this ball and it hits a light pole uh, that's behind, you know, it's, it's like a home run. It's like halfway up the light pole and it dings in the video. You hear a coach screams, yell something. Everyone's like, holy crap. And I'm like, what the hell is this? And he keeps doing it. And again, I apologize for kind of retreading some stuff I've talked about, but I then went and started asking pitchers. I was asking like, you know, Ryan, Ryan Nelson was one of the, and he's a fantastic prospect and Liam Norris. We both chatted about, you know, him and they both just oohed and awed about De Los Santos. They were just like, this guy, I'm telling you, this guy is crazy. He doesn't have a whole lot of flaws. And Liam Norris told me he does this every day, every day. He's hitting just massive mammoth homers more than anybody else. You know, Corbin Carroll's not a big power guy. He's a contact guy. He's always impressive. Alec Thomas, little combo of both. Christian Robinson's out there, but nobody has power like him. And I don't think the body is out of control. And I think a lot of people were concerned about that. It's pretty fit. Um, I mean, I've even exchanged uh, some stuff with him on Instagram. And, you know, for the age and for the raw power and the contact he's making, I don't know, man. Like, this is one, it, it pisses me off, James. Like, I hate that everybody else, like the other people, those are smart guys that were on it so hard, but this is one that I've jumped on in a, in a huge, huge degree. He's the most impressive, probably the most impressive of impact that have been made on the backfields. Like I said, I thought Acosta was really good. Dustin Harris, maybe a little bit more impactful, but Davison really, really looks like an absolute dude. And I think he could hit 20 plus homers this year in a full season of minor leagues. And I know that might not sound crazy, but we don't see like that to an immense amount, but it might be 2025. 20, He's got light tower power. He also got to play in spring training games. I love Davison De Los Santos. And I wouldn't be shocked if he's a top 50 overall prospect uh, come the end of the year. And it's not just homerism of a diamondback. Because again, they'll all tell you, everybody will tell you, James, who loved Davison De Los Santos before anybody else. So I'm not the only one. <laughs> 
Are they gonna keep letting you back at that uh, that facility <laughs> out in Arizona? I, I uh, one day I put some glasses on, someday I put a hat on. I'll maybe change my shirt. Uh, no, it's it, you know what the guys are really cool there too. Like I've uh, like De Los Santos, like like we were you know like you know, fist pounds and stuff like that because he knows I'm rooting for him. The, the the not fun thing is when you're not on a guy and they pay attention. Not all these guys pay attention, but the younger guys you catch, like when I put out the video of De Los Santos, he immediately got into my DMs and thanked me. And I was like, don't thank me, dude. You know, like this is this is incredible stuff. But uh, I still don't know. I seriously doubt it, James, that anybody really there, there's a handful of guys that do know me and remember me. Like I've been around Julio. I don't think Julio remembers me. And I've interviewed him on field before. Kelnick has absolutely no idea who I am. And I did a 10 minute interview. Well, he doesn't remember because he didn't look at me at all when we did the interview, weirdly. But like most of the guys, even though I'll like continuously come back there, unless I'm there a lot, they don't. The Rangers guys, they do remember me. I got prospects there that know exactly who I am. Uh, some of the Diamondbacks guys do. But I just got to make sure I'm not too creepy in the bushes with binoculars or anything trying to figure out what these guys are doing. Yeah, the, the worse the prospect is, the more likely they are to acknowledge that they remember yeah. you, I'm sure. Uh, which is why Eric Pena and you are, are such... Uh, such tight buddies. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Me and Eric are very, very good, and I'm hoping he pops so I can keep talking nice. All right, who's the uh, and Dale Santos? By the way, I I moved up uh, long or quite a ways on my last update, but I'm sure I'm still lower than everyone else on him. And uh, is it? It's also proximity. Yeah, that's what I meant. I wanted to kind of ask you, like, you know, when you compare him against proximity guys, or even just like, like, okay, let me ask you this one. De Los Santos, break me down. De Los Santos versus Edbert in your mind. Because we've kind of gone back and forth. You were big Edbert. You kind of cooled down a little bit on Edbert. I think they're close to the same age. And they might be close to the same level. They're different positions, of course. But like, how far different do you think? And I know I'm doing this completely on the spot for you. How far off do you think like Edbert and De Los Santos is in your mind? Uh, they're in like the exact same tier. Um like I've got a bunch of guys. Like I've got like Dominguez, Preciado, Blaze Jordan, Edbert, uh, Acosta, Christian Santana. Like all in that same tier with De Los Santos. Um, so I mean, that maybe I should have even had him higher. Uh, I've got him outside my top one hundred. Um, and Wait, I think you say Jason. Did you did you say Dominguez? Yeah. Is he outside your top one hundred? He's ninety six. Okay. Oh yeah. I mean, where uh, I think you and I probably have De Los Santos about the same area. I, that's always the biggest story. Like, where, like, is he one twenties or something? Uh, one sixteen. Okay. I mean, you got him like a couple, just a couple numerical spots ahead of where I have him. I've got him right in that. I have like one twenty six, I think. So we've got him like right in the same general range. Uh, but that threw me off when you said Preciado and Dominguez. I was like, oh man, you got him high, but you must you move Preciado down and Dominguez. Yeah, I mean, I I kind of um. If you think about it, like it's sort of this this group of guys, like I brought like De Los Santos and some other guys up to sort of meet these other guys. Um, yeah, and it's it's sort of a collection of super high ceiling guys that uh, you know they're one really good two month run and full season ball away from rocketing up the list. But I I think they're also all kind of a couple really rough months against low a pitching from 
uh, falling down the list. And so you know, they're, they're kind of in that holding zone between uh, like 95 and 125 for me. I think I think you and I have said this a couple of times, but I was just having this conversation with a friend uh, yesterday about how, you know, the tier because people get very worked up about like ranks, you know, like you even mentioned it before. You're like people getting all pissed off that you don't have like Yuri Perez wherever they want him to be or whatever it is. People get very worked up, but I don't think they realize, at least in like my mind, and I and I'm kind of projecting this on you a little bit, that like who I have at 50 and who I have at 150, I know that seems like the world. It's not that much. Like to your point, like guys I have, like, okay, I have like um someone I just talked about, one of my biggest breakout prospects, I think this year, Rubio Angeles, or if I'm saying his name correct, who just got traded to the A's. Like, he's one. I already, I'm like, hey, I love this guy, blah, blah, blah. But he's like one good month or two run away from jumping up into the top 50. At the same time, though, you know, a Jason Dominguez is one bad six-week run from falling for me outside the top 100. I have him quite a bit higher than you. Because the tiers are so similar, whatever you want to say, I'm just uh, randomly throwing out 50 to 150 in my ranks. Those guys interchangeably by um, how they produce, they could flip. You could have them flip. I think the tiers are very close to each other. And even when you get into the 160s and stuff like that, that I'm just adding to your point, that people get very worked up about this guy being 60 and this guy being 130. They might not be that far off, to be honest with you. And it's just some positive or negative reinforcement away from having a massive change. It's not necessarily one for one, but guys I have right outside my top 100, I think there's some huge upside guys some of the international guys like christian vaquero and ricardo cabrera who were just j uh 15 guys carlos Colmenares, who's kind of cooled off those guys are just a little bit of a good run away from popping up though they're not going to play for a little bit or some of the draft guys uh that we just recently had you know the whether it's josh baez or uh even victor acosta just small little things can make them have really really big moves so even though i kind of had a uh, an audible like oh you got Dominguez at 96 doesn't mean you hate him and he's probably one good month away from you know maybe reconfirming you back like what what would one good Dominguez month let's say he hits 300 hits a couple bombs steals a couple bases in April what do you think you I know I'm you can't give an exact science but don't you think you would probably pop him back into the top 50 if you were seeing that or would you need way more to feel comfortable uh the two big things I'm looking for with him are strikeouts, walks, and uh, speed. Like, I, I know he's going to hit for power, <clears throat> um, but it's just, you know, what does the approach look like, and is he going to help at all in stolen bases? And Let's say so, he steals five bases in April, and he has a 25% K rate. What's his walk rate? Uh, let's say, what is it right now? Give me what's his current walk? I don't know what it is off the top of my head. Let's say, let's just, I'm going to just say uh, it's uh, 10%. I don't know what his, uh, I'm, I'm pulling up to see what he was last year. So, um, yeah, he was at 31% strikeout rate, 10% walk rate last year. So if he was, let's say it's 11, 11, 12% walk rate increases a little bit and he cuts it down to 25 and he steals five bases in April. Um, <clears throat> then I'd, yeah, I'd probably be pretty, pretty close to top 50. Okay. Um, so that was, I'm just yeah. reaffirming kind of like, those are the things that, especially if people want to understand like our brains sometime, which our brains are insane. My brain is wacky, but like, you know, simple check marks like that. You're like, Oh, okay. But that's how fluid it can be. 
I mean, I didn't blow anybody's minds out there. Five stolen bases and 25% K rate. You might not think that's a big deal, but look at what big rank movement that can happen. That's how close a lot of these guys can be in our minds and it gets tiered and we just have to prioritize at that point. And, you know, yeah, you're a I mean, bit the, cooler the, on him. The worst, the worst question that I get a lot, and I'm sure you get it maybe as much, if not more than I do, is just, you know, give me three prospects outside of the top like, huh. X that could Hate be it. inside the top X like in yeah, a year. Yeah, yeah. And um, <clears throat> like I'm ranking these guys based on how much I like them and how confident I am in them. So the lower you go, I'm not going to give you three guys outside my top 250 that I think could be inside the top 100. Cause if I actually thought <clears throat> that they could make that type of a jump, they wouldn't be outside the top 250. Uh, so you you should be looking at players who have very minimal uh, experience because then what they do over the span of six weeks is going to count for that much more because it represents that much larger of their career track record, right? Whereas a yeah, guy exactly. who, like if, if I've got a guy at, at rank 290, who's got three years under his belt in the, in the minors, uh, a good four months isn't going to do a ton for him, uh, most yeah. likely, unless it's just out of this world. So, And like on the Dominguez front, like I'm exponentially higher than you still on him. But if I got the inverse and I got an April of 30% K rates again, and he's walking a little bit less and he's hitting 240, you know, carrying that over to this year again, I know it's heavy competition and stuff, but doing it again, that can't be a top 50 prospect, you know, especially with those K rates. Like that shows no advancement uh, from what he learned last year through spring training. Does that mean he's nothing? No, not at all. But for me, who I'm not as aggressive in dropping him as you, that would be a telltale sign of like, oh, I've got to drop him further. Where you, I mean, I'm speaking for you. I don't even know if you would drop him that much more. You're just like, oh, he's still doing what we're doing. Like, may I mean, maybe you would tank him if you saw that again. But like, I feel like your rank is already built. You are building in the, um, you are building in the lack of positivity and you're building in the lack of uh, positive production where I am building in like a case that he's not going to continue being who he was last year. And I feel like we, we, we are pre-building in two different sides and whichever direction they go in that first month or six, you know, six weeks could determine a pretty drastic move on both sides, unless we've already built in, you know, you know, if, if it's like I said, 30% or 29% little stolen bases, you might not move anything where I might be like, dang, we're still here. We're not doing really, really good. All right. Now we're going to go into like, you know, outside the top 75 or something. All right. Who is the guy that maybe you saw that uh, you're not like, super down on but someone who you just were kind of surprised by something in in a little bit of a negative way yeah so i i had a couple guys that made this list there's one guy that just stood out though and i'll just name him and i hate to do it like from a i don't want it to be like i'm not in on him because i did like him maybe a little bit more than everybody else but james wood with the padres is a little concerning on how bad he looked in spring and it's not so much you're not like oh where's the power and blah 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 but really bad swings, like really bad takes. I, I caught a game, the game where I caught Victor Acosta, and Victor Acosta looked really good. Uh, James Wood was in a game, and it had like Chris Cease in it, and Jackson Merrill, Max Ferguson were all there. And he looked so fooled. 
and it, I, I couldn't recall who the pitcher was. Um, it wasn't a, it obviously wasn't a pitcher that like stood out to me. And it was this performance of like, James Wood had three straight absolute hacks out of his shoes, swinging at God knows what. It was, it's like me playing MLB the show for the first time in 10 years <laughs> where I'm just hitting the square button and I don't, I can't differentiate a change up to a fastball. And that's what he looked like. And that's worrisome because he's a big long limbed guy who's got crazy raw power. He also was stealing bases in rookie ball, which was really impressive. The pitching was so bad though out here that you got to take it with a grain of salt. And, you know, he's being valued in the same range of guys like Jay Allen, um, Lonnie White. It, you know, I'm trying to think of not James Triantos. He's moved, you know, Triantos and like Sweeney had kind of moved past him. But, you know, he was in that kind of general range. I'm pulling up my first year player to give you a couple other guys. That my, Josh Baez is a perfect one. Those guys were kind of compared in the same. And I'm really worried about the swing and miss and the pitch recognition on James Wood. And that one has stood out to me as a negative. And, you know, I had him outside the top 100, but not insanely. And I moved him below Josh Baez, which was a very specific one. And it's something to monitor. Didn't decimate him by any value. I don't tend to do that. I tend to be a little bit more cautious on these guys and it's spring training and stuff like that. But I saw a couple games of James Wood out here and none of them looked great. And a lot of them were looked heavy swing and miss. So I, I've got a little bit of concern on him. And, you know, he was a pretty valuable first year player guy. And most view is a top 150. He was in the 150 of my prospect ADP. Uh, but that was probably the like if even if you didn't want a big breakdown and you just randomly were like one guy negative, And that would have been the first one that came to my mind. Yeah. I mean, it's, I I think people will definitely appreciate that unless they are people that (laughs) took James Wood in a first year player draft. I got a share of him. It doesn't make me feel good. I got a share from very early on in the year as well. Yeah. I've got him at uh, exactly one, or I've got him at 151 right now. Um, And I I was never that high on him, but uh, I think we we definitely got to, be careful. And I mean, you're definitely not saying just drop him, get out, no. but uh, might not be a guy that you should expect to just get off to an awesome start at Loe. Yeah. I, I think I'm worried about him having a really rough start to the year. I mean, you know, he was the biggest athlete out here in complex with bad pitching, you know, hot travel ball. And he just, you know, he, he was great when he was out here, really high contact and stole bases. He'll be a guy heavily monitoring to start the minor league season to see how he is against some better competition, especially traveling around more and stuff like that. I'm a little worried it's going to be a rough, rough early go. But like I said, you don't tank these guys. It's very small sample sizes like you shouldn't make Jack Leiter, you know, the number one pitching prospect because, you know, he was touching 98 and has an immense curveball. You shouldn't say James Wood is absolutely nothing because he swung and missed in some spring training. It's it's an adjustment period. All this stuff is get a bigger sample size, but he looked uh, of of the guys that stood out. He looked the worst. All right, we're gonna head to another uh, message from our sponsors. Uh, after that, Chris and I will talk about some guys who made the big league roster, including our number one overall prospect. Bet against others with no fees involved. That's right. No pesky hidden fees to ruin your day. Better Edge is a social betting marketplace where there's no fee on each transaction. Better Edge is a social betting marketplace, and chances are it's illegal in your state. We bring ba- we bring betting back to its social roots where you can like, comment, and challenge other users all within the app. 
play without getting played at better edge go to betteredge.com that's b-e-t-t-o-r-e-d-g-e.com to sign up today all right i teased it uh before that ad read and uh i was checking today uh i've had julio rodriguez as a top three prospect since I saw him in the AFL in November, 2019. I know that he's been both of our number one overall prospects uh, ever since Juan Franco graduated. And I mean, I, I just, it's so cool that to see big league teams doing the right thing. Um, it's kind of it's a weird, it's isn't a breath, it weird too? It's, it's kind of blown. It kind of blew me away too. Like, I don't think, Cause I would like kind of get on people about drafting him in redraft this year. Cause um, I remember you and I had a conversation before COVID about being like, you know, he might really come up really soon. And I felt like they were babying him, but I didn't, I didn't believe that teams were going to be more aggressive with young guys. And this is something I've thought they should do forever. The best thing for the game, you talk about growing the game, you know, what's the thing to do? What's so popular about the NBA? Everybody loves the young guys. They love the, the new young stars. It, it's a, when, when you have, young new players come in it's an opportunity for new people to get excited and jump in on a player in the beginning it's kind of like a stock thing you know where people are like well i want to jump in now on amazon because it's three thousand per share but the guys that come in early it's the same concept with the young guys new you know people watch baseball my kid does the same thing they, they get to see a young guy come in they just started it's like oh i can invest in this guy for the rest of their career and this will be my baseball thing it's great but i never believed that they were really going to like move guys up. If there was, if there was no extra and maybe I'm wrong here, if there was no extra advantage, I see no reason why the Mariners would have let Julio break camp. If they, they knew they didn't have an opportunity to get an extra pick and stuff like that. And manipulation wasn't on the table and it was like it was before. I just think it would have been status quo. Everyone would be doing what the pirates are doing. So I just don't, I, I never believed that we would have this scope and look at us. Now we have, I mean, my all top of uh, my five top prospects, um, well, theoretically would have had an opportunity to break had Riley Green not uh, fractured his ankle. Before. And there's more to, I mean, there's more to be gained on the team side than just the extra picks. Like that, they, they're gonna pack that house with uh, with Julio Rodriguez uh, up at the big leagues. They're gonna have a better relationship with Julio for when it comes time to talk about a contract extension. Totally. So there's just there's so many bonuses on the team side to me to, to bringing guys like this up um, as soon as they're ready. So I'm just really pumped that they went that it, way. It's a good validation too. Do you remember last year, you and I living through the world of Kelnick versus Julio debates? That's what last year existed. I just remember it so vividly. Well, there was, there was the Wander versus Kelnick, which was like the biggest one. But then, you know, for however long it's been, it's been Kelnick versus Julio. Not to say that the, that's not going to like go the other direction, but you and I facing the adversity of staying on Julio over Kelnick was not easy in the early days. But this is one of those we stuck to our guns and it feels pretty good, especially seeing him break camp. He looks as big as ever. Do you love that picture I got with him, me and him? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's well, I mean, he could be. Uh, you know, like there's there's so many great players in baseball. But he's he's charismatic enough to be the face of the sport. I totally agree. Uh, two years, you're going to see him like on the cover of MLB The Show. He is going to. Yeah. He, he was doing his own show, by the way. He was doing like a Twitter 
J-Rod Show. That's his nickname, the J-Rod Show. He was doing a Twitter show in the minors uh, in spring training, all that interviewing players. That guy is the biggest personality. I love Fernando Tatis Jr. He's a personality on the field. Juan Soto, charismatic at the plate with all his stretches. He's on the field. Julio Rodriguez is the only of all the... Ronald Acuna, you don't see Ronald Acuna doing stuff. It's on the field. Julio Rodriguez is the only guy of all these guys, all of the guys, Bryce Harper, Mike Trout, he's the only guy that is a superstar on and off the field. And he really could change the face of a lot of stuff. The the only thing lame about this was that video that the team posted. Of, oh, the uh, fake video where Scott he didn't know Service what was going telling on. Him, like that... Like Scott Service, first of all, like the biggest square in the world, um, based on that video, I you know whatever. But uh, like the hey whole there, Julio. the way that you tell a guy that is in front of his teammates in the locker in the clubhouse, right? Like that's that's how you tell a guy that you don't sit it, down and make this stupid lame build up about. Well, you know what it was. Well, like Mariners development, they do a really good. They're the best social of any team. They do lots and lots of stuff. But it was so like. We got to be like hard knocks, everybody. Because the Royals did the same thing. The Royals did a little dumb video that was even faker, by the way. With <laughs> Glad uh, I seen Whit, that. <laughs> Whit Merrifield was in there filming it, but they're all trying to be hard knocks instead of doing it the right way, where you get every, you do like a team meeting and you yeah. announce it and you let the players just yeah. jump all over the guy for making it. Everyone wants to be hard knocks, which is I, I agree. It's kind of lame. It's kind of lame. Yeah, uh, not a not a great look, but. Um... Still glad that they they're breaking camp with him. Uh, C.J. Abrams. Uh, I so the way that I would describe the way I am kind of advising people on Abrams right now is I I don't like I don't have him anywhere for for redraft, but he should someone should have him in your league. Um, and if you want it to be you, then then great. But uh, I, it would be an amazing feat for him to hit uh, better than like 235 this year against big league pitching. Like, I, I really think that like if, if CJ Abrams goes out and hits 250, uh, then his future is incredibly bright because he just has no business having that much success given the amount of experience he has against upper level pitching but I wouldn't rule it out. I mean, he, he's incredibly talented. Where where are you at on Abrams just for 2022? Yeah, I'm kind of the same way. I'm torn. The NL is such a weird spot. I'm shocked that they gave him, uh, they're giving him a spot and he's finally having to relent. He did it last spring as well, playing some outfield and he was successful in uh, spring training. Uh, but he's, you know, he just had kind of a lost year of injuries and stuff. He got to start in right field. He said he'll play anywhere. He can play anywhere. The Padres like to have, you know, these super utility type of guys. My only worry with him is that I don't know if it's good that he specifically is not an everyday player. Um, he doesn't have a ton of high-end experience. He missed so much time last year. He's an insanely explosive athlete. But I really hope that them having him up is them trying to get him every day at bats. Not like he's starting on Tuesday at second. He starts on Friday at right. He's a pinch runner on Thursday. Like, I just don't know if that's great for him. It's bad for his fantasy value. Um, but I would speculate. You have to speculate early on. It's one of those things we don't know. If he, if he didn't get drafted, I think there's some 10-man leagues out there. He didn't. Maybe even some 12s. You should pick him up. Um, I would be interested even if he's slow early and someone drops off. But I just don't know what the future holds outside of April. I unfortunately could see a scenario 
where he's sent down to AAA, um, where it's not working out. He's struggling at the plate a tiny bit. And they're just saying, you know, the best thing for this kid is to get at bats because of what's been missed. So I'm a little bit tepid on him, but he is an insane talent. He's the fastest player on that team. No doubt in my mind, he can play multiple positions. He has real power and he makes fantastic contact. He is going to be a fantasy stud. I'm just not sure about this year. I, w- I was very surprised that they uh, held him up. Yeah, I mean, I, I would be like, I would be hoping for uh the same type of production like well i don't know like most of the guys that i think are going to produce like him are guys that i wasn't really touching in drafts like i i'm not that in on like a keel badu uh like yeah. i mean that could be kind of similar but i mean the yeah. like, like jonathan vr like that type of thing um even though i was kind of in on vr after he signed with the cubs but i was um, too it was a little but like that's that's sort of like the best case scenario to me like as a rookie and uh i don't even think he'll be a you know, like a like Andrew Vaughn is kind of a post hype sleeper this year. Um, even though I'm still worried about his playing time, just Me because too. I really know. am now with the AJ Pollock trade and everything. Yeah, but I, I don't even think CJ Abrams will be a a quote unquote sleeper next year, just because of the speed. Like any any time a guy could steal thirty bases. Look at Miles Straw. Miles Straw can't do anything else. I mean, he can hit a little bit, but he doesn't hit well, homers. He's not going to be an RBI threat. And he was like going like one twenty five over. Look at like Victor Robles and Andres Jimenez. Like back, you know, a couple of years ago, those guys were going. Ooh, Victor Robles is a really interesting comp. I'm worried about. Like you know who and, and I. You may either falsely or positively transitioning us here. I'm much more interested in Bryson Stott than I am CJ Abrams. Uh, that's another one. I'm I'm shocked that he got the the spot but i'm not shocked and i've been very vocal about bryson stott since the afl he is a, a crazy bat he's an insane bat great patience walks more than he strikes out in the afl he also did it in the spring he has he, he doesn't show off crazy power but he has it you know he he had a ex- power explosion at the end of the afl insane bat speed he's a pretty good defender he's just a like a five-tool player he can steal he does everything so I just didn't know if they would push him that aggressive, and they did, and they gave him they gave him a spot. Him and Bohm vying for third, while also they have Didi. That I think Bryson can take that spot. I kind of think Bryson might have an opportunity to double up on plate appearances, and he's kind of a dark horse for NL Rookie of the Year for me. I'm I I would be more aggressive on him than Abrams, even though Abrams has a higher stolen base front. But don't sleep on Stott if he's given the opportunity. I think Stott could steal 15 bases. This season, where obviously if Abrams were given the opportunity and succeeded, he could steal 50, uh, to be honest with you. But I like Stott, and I would be a little bit more aggressive on him than Abrams. And I think Stott is probably more available in leagues as far as picking up goes than Abrams would be. But I mean, I could be off. How about Stott versus Jeremy Pena for 2022? Ooh, that's so tough. I mean, if you told me both guys get the same run, I'm going to take Stott hands down. And I know that's not going to be super popular because Pena is buzzy as buzz can be. They're very similar in they've got, you know, power speed combos and Pena's really grown in size. The Astros love, love him. From a draft standpoint, if I'm talking redraft, I would take Pena because I get more guarantees and I think they're very close. And I think the Astros are way more committed to Jeremy Pena unless he super fails. uh, How about, I mean, I... I think uh, the Phillies are kind of saying all the right things about Alec Bohm, 
uh, I, I mentioned this on the radio show today. My theory is that he would already be an uh, option to AAA if he wasn't going to throw a big tantrum about it. And like I, I could just picture him being such a prickly guy that they don't want to go that route necessarily. And he but, is a little prickly. You know that. Like Bryson Stott is better than Alec Bohm at everything. And Agreed. I just, I don't see him being in a platoon, no matter what Joe Girardi says, like Bryce, it's not going to play. Uh, I think it's opportunity. Like they want, they don't want to get, cause to your point, if you send him down like now, you're really kind of giving up. And I don't think they want to kill the confidence yet. But to your point though, I think Bryson at the end of April, Bryson Stott is playing more consistently than Alec Bohm. They've got the DH to run with. They could put Schwarber on the outfield to play a little bit. Like they've got some flexibility where they could try to get Bohm and Stott in at the same time. But I think Stott is the play over Bohm at this point. And th- this is the Phillies are probably top three or four in the majors in desperation. Uh, they're not gonna. They're not gonna win. 82 games instead of 86 games because they gave Alec Bohm 350 plate appearances he didn't deserve. So like, I, yeah. I just, I, they're going to find a spot for, for Stott. I think like Stott is going to have to struggle to, to not play. Um, yeah. And I think it's like Stott can play third base one day and then he can take over for DD, you know, one day at short. Like, yeah. that's what I'm saying. Like, I think he plays more consistently where Bohm, I just don't see it. I think Bohm is third base, maybe DH. I think he's sitting more. And if he struggles, I don't know, dude. He might, I mean, he might be, I don't know if they do it, but he might be a guy that you just move on from. Like, you know, don't, don't be at the expense of other players at this point, though. They don't have a lot of depth, like after Stott and Bohm, like who's the next guy. I don't think they want to groom Stott as the next third baseman. I think he's the shortstop when they're out of the DD contract, but you know, I mean, I'm just not super excited about Bohm though. I did feel he could be one of those guys that could be in the next class of like improving this season. I don't, think in spring he's shown enough and i don't think the team has shown enough confidence clearly having Stott up i think kills some of that confidence uh so we touched on Stott, uh touched on Pena briefly uh, i did i i do want to talk about more big league guys but uh i did just want to get your your take so like I, I think you are kind of in the um if you had to pick a guy to be the number one prospect in the game after all these obvious guys graduate i think you're on anthony volpe yeah, good call. Uh, yep. I'm on I'm on Corbin Carroll for that. And I wanted to ask you about him because uh I want to talk about like aggressive assignments. Uh sending him to double A, I'm not surprised like I think he can handle double A, but I mean they are not holding back on him. Remember, like a year ago, the Mariners sent Julio Rodriguez to high A. Uh you know, the, the Diamondbacks good, good have all the cover in the world to send Corbin Carroll to high A and they're sending him to double A. Uh, what did you make of that move? Yeah, I thought that was a good aggressive move. I thought it was the right move. You know, before Carroll got hurt, he was at high A and he was killing it. He was dominating. He was right back at it. And I'm not surprised by it. Uh, he had a great spring. I mean, I was tweeting about it. Like I said, someone was like, how oh, are you not talking about Carroll? It's because I love the guy. I love Corbin Carroll. He has, I've always said that, uh, Abram speed. It's the same thing. You could call it Carol speed in a flash. Uh, I had a couple of listeners that were at this backfield game that I was at and Slade Ciccone was pitching. Uh, it was an inner squad game and, and pitched to Carol and Carol absolutely just ripped a change up off of him to the uh, right field wall. And bo- I swear to God, it felt like this before the ball hit the grass off of the field. 
he was at second base. That's what it felt like. I mean, it was like blink of an eye. He's at second. He makes, he makes really, really great contact. He's such a smart player. He's very, very smart about his approach. And um, he, he hasn't gotten the body up like Alec has. And I would love for those two to like work out in the off season a little bit more. So he hasn't gotten the body there, but you know, his general nature of contact, he just makes, you know, he's going to hit for power at some degree. He'd be an incredible leadoff hitter. He can steal bases. He's super fast. And the assignment shows a lot that, you know, the Diamondbacks resign Cattell Marte. They're in a weird spot. I think next year, if the Diamondbacks don't have an opening day roster of Carol and Alec Thomas, I think they're being silly with themselves. Just put those guys. What are you waiting for? Put those guys out there. Get Cattell in at second. Your or yeah, and your groom and Jordan Lawler to come up. Uh, you know, relatively soon. They gave him a, a assignment, which I thought was actually nice and aggressive because I, I assume maybe they would have him play rookie ball again due to the injury. But I thought it was uh, speaking to everything. Could Carroll make it up this year? Absolutely, dude. If he kills double A, there's no reason to keep him there. Alec is up first, though. Alec is 100% up first. But I would not be surprised if August is here and Carroll and Thomas are both up in the majors. That's the type of hitter. I know they believe Carroll can do it. They just need him to hit for more power and they need reps. He is the most polished hitter on that team, hands down. So, you know, when you say Volpe, the only difference here, I actually think Volpe and him are incredibly similar in, in many, many ways. Just Volpe has a better approach for power right now and plays a more premium position. So yeah, my number one guy would be Volpe, but I see a path where Corbin Carroll could jump over even Noelvi Marte, you know, who looks like he's going to be a third baseman and moving off. I could see Carroll as my number two, and I could see, you know, a year or so of Carroll and Volpe being one, two. I would not discount that that happening, but um, yeah, I think they're, I think we have the similar type of player. I think maybe the conversation piece is why do you and I both not have Noelvi as the number one overall guy? I think a lot of people would ask because, you know, he continues to check boxes. He got bigger. He is changing positions. But is there something about Noelvi that sets you back? Well, just quickly on Carol, like I, I'm, I think in a, a year, maybe even in like three months, there's going to be a lot of um, people like, I think he's going to hit for power and I don't think he do needs too. to add muscle to hit for power. And I think he's going to hit for power this year. I, I like, like, yeah, I, I think he's, I think there's a lot of similarities with Carol's uh, body and like bat speed and forearm strength and wrist strength to like Mookie Betts when he was coming up where that's a great, great comp. I'm really glad you said that. That is a very, very good ana analogy for people to process on their head. Cause you're a hundred percent right about that like when when you're that good with the bat like you're just and you're tr like it's not like he's a slap hitter like Nick Madrigal or something like he's totally he's driving the ball like he's he's gonna hit for power so he barrels I, he barrels yeah. that ball and it's not driving it into the ground you're 100% right um but yeah on, on Noelvi it's just you know he's everyone in my top 15 is going to be up by next year and Noelvi's not in my top 15 because I don't think he's up till 2024, but you know, even if he is up in 2023, I just, everyone is so good that I have ahead of him. They've proven more. Like I'm just, my level of confidence is high and it kind of comes back. Like, I think there's just this, um, like I've, I've ranted about this before on the pod, but this idea of upside and ceiling and some guys having it and some guys not having it. Like 
if you are like you're a lot of these guys just have way more upside than people give them credit for. Like to me, like Nick York has a ton of upside. Uh, Like Nick York could be Robinson Cano. Like that's, that's an incredibly high ceiling. Um, Like Tristan Casas has a ton of upside. He could be like a top three fantasy first baseman. Um, Noelvi Marte has got a ton of upside, but I think he's got more risk than those guys of failing to reach that, that upside. And um, I just, I don't want to put the cart before the horse with him because I think there are, uh, I've made some mistakes with doing that on players in the past. And I just, I think that there's just so many good prospects right now. There's no reason to push him to the moon ahead of guys who are also just really, really good and a lot closer to the majors. That's a really, it's really interesting how you said that though, but like, okay, with the York, let's take York for instance, that didn't really exist pre-draft outside of maybe the Red Sox organization. What makes the upside, because you got to see, so so follow me here, you got to see York and we got to see his success that I think created that beast of upside where you say he could be Robbie Cano, but we got to see Noel V. Marte and his production and that gets to create what a lot of people will throw out comps like Miguel Cabrera. What's the difference in your eyes of why York has the upside without the risk where I would say you have similar Noelvi comps to like Miggy and stuff like young Miggy where what, what's the risk that makes him not in that same camp? Is it just proximity of age that there's more years behind under him? I mean, York is uh, York is 20 and Noelvi is older. I mean, Noelvi is older than Nick York. So what, like, well, I just, I think like there's just, it's kind of, um, from a, and I'm, I'm just going to like reference the, the stats here on, on York because they are just so absolutely laughable, but like, (laughs) you're never, you're never going to see a 19 year old put up the numbers he did at low A and high A with the type of plate discipline that he had and the type of power output that he had. And like, go, like you're not going to be able to find guys that did that who didn't make it. Like, it's just, it's, it's borderline, you know, it's, it's like once every 10 years type of stuff for a guy that that age to go to full season ball and do that much damage without striking out a ton and while getting to power. And it's just like, I'm, I am incredibly confident in Nick York being an awesome hitter in the big leagues um, based on what he's done so far. And Noel V. Marte, like, I just don't, I don't buy those Miggy comps. Like, I, I haven't heard that, actually. Um, I haven't seen people say that. But, like, that's just, I don't think we're talking about that caliber of prospect, at least not yet. The um, the interesting thing of what you're saying here, too, is that these guys, both of those guys had high A, had low and high A production last year at almost the same age. Like, Noel is like, five months or four months older than uh, Nick York and where Nick York in low a hit 323 with 10 homers and 11 stolen bases in 76 games, then hit 333 in high a with four more homers and two stolen bases. Noel V in what looks like about the same amount of games. It's a little bit adjusted. Noel V hit 270, 271 in low a, but he had 17 homers and 23 stolen bases. And then in high a, he hit 290 with no homers and one stolen base. And he also uh, struck out a, I would say exponentially more than Nick York. So to your point, Nick York showed off, you know, power speed, elite batting average and an elite 
uh, eye at the plate where Noelvi, I think, showed off more elite intangibles counting stats. You know, like this is a guy, could he be 30-30, could he be 40-20 type of stuff? But he showed off more warning-ish signs as far as strikeouts go, not showing off like an elite, elite average. I, and again, I'm not like coming at you about that. I have been critical of Noelvi. I was, I literally opened up like a whole series of being critical about Noelvi last year. Cause it was like, he could be number one. Um, I just find it. I, I always find it interesting. Cause I think I struggle sometimes in where do we cross? Wh- what line do we cross where it's like, well, this guy has this upside with, no downside and this guy has limited upside with high downside like where do those go because i feel like with the young guys sometimes unfortunately some people it's like every guy could be this guy every guy could be bo jackson every guy can be uh dustin pedroia every single one of those and it's i think it's hard and you got to be careful about comps though i think these are really interesting ones especially the nick york one he is elite for what he did um having the debate of the upside versus downside and the insane comps we put on prospects is I think what creates some of the insanity of why people, I mean, Jesus, like Yuri Perez, everyone's like, Hey, he's no one's talked about him since Craig Mishet. Jose Ramirez or Jose Fernandez is the last guy that anybody has comped like Yuri Perez. That's an insane value. So of course people are pissed off James when you don't have him as like the top five overall starting pitcher. Cause they're like, this guy's Jose Fernandez. And it, I just think we get messy when we get into the insane comp game. Yeah, I, I threw no out the way. Robinson Cano right. one because I'm just so sick of people saying that York doesn't have a high ceiling and that he's more like floor than ceiling. Like when you if you can hit 320, you have a high ceiling by definition uh, when it's going to come with power. And so I and just 14, 14 homers with a 325 batting average across two levels at 19 years old. <laughs> That's yeah. that does speak a lot. That speaks big. So, um, we let, that was a fun tangent. Uh, yeah, that was a total tangent. I'm tangent. We're, we're going to get back to just a few more guys who crack their big league rosters. Uh, but first, just one more message from our sponsors. Baseball is back. That's right. An entire glorious season, all 162 games. And with live events resuming, you can actually be there to catch all the action in person with vivid seats Every backdoor slider, every round tripper, and every double header can be experienced live. And with Vivid Seats Rewards, you can start earning free tickets from your very first purchase. Just buy, collect stamps, and redeem. It's that easy. From behind the dugout to upper level, Vivid Seats has you covered for all the games that matter to you. Pro tip, buy tickets for your whole group, split the bill, and make progress towards your free tickets even faster. Just visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, life happens live. All right, so um, I wanted to ask about, uh, I just want to throw out, I'm going to throw out like three or four names at you. Cool. And just since, since these are guys that were in Arizona and like you tell me if you got eyes on them and and if they they look good. Uh, Miguel Vargas, MJ Melendez, Nick Lodolo, and... Uh, Vinny Pascantino. Did you get eyes on any of those guys? Yes, uh, Vinny, I did. God, do I love him. He is a big old, just he's just like a big bear with a three with a big old 30 homer plus. I don't think I realized how big he was until I saw him in person. He is quite a big individual, which does lead to a little bit of worry. You're like, boy, don't let him go in the wrong direction. But he has dumb power, it, it's a different sound that comes off his bat. Um, 
he's looked pretty good. Uh, he, he was a little bit wonky in that game where lighter was there. Lighter ate him up a little bit. Uh, he was hitting some stuff into the ground. He also had a really bad uh, play at first base. And he had a couple like weird scoops that I do wonder if he's going to more and more be viewed only as a DH, which is going to be difficult for the Royals because you've also got guys like MJ Melendez that might have to kind of work there. I've seen MJ Melendez a million times. I did not get to see him live in person in spring. Royals practices were kind of nutty and I never happened to catch him in a game. I, I kind of caught the Royals games later when he had already been sent down. So I didn't see MJ Melendez in person but I've seen him a million times. Uh, Venny looked good. I saw Miguel Vargas is actually in the scrimmage game. I was at the scrimmage game that had Walker Bueller versus Craig Kimbrell, White Sox Dodgers. It was the game, I think, that pushed Craig Kimbrell to be traded because the Dodgers were watching him. And it was also the game that Ioannis Cespedes was trying out for the White Sox. And his brother, uh, Yuelki, was out there as well. It was a weird game. And Miguel Vargas was in that game with Walker Bueller. And he continues to just look, you know, as patient as can be at the plate. He's got great power. One of the probably more underrated prospects in all of baseball. And then what was the other one? There's a fourth one. Um, Vinny, Nick Lodolo. I did not get to see any of the starts of Nick Lodolo, but I can tell you um, uh, a couple things. A cheap plug for our boy, Jeff Ponce, who had him on in an interview and spoke very highly of him. We talked about him, but I've been openly saying this. I don't know if this is a hot take. I feel like it is from like a redraft perspective. I'm Nick Lodolo over Hunter Green. Me and too. I'm pretty firmly on that. And I, but I don't think you tell me if I'm wrong. I don't think that's consensus. I think everybody else wants Hunter Green over Lodolo. No, Hunter Green has it's kind of same thing with Jack Leiter. He's got the famous tax, and Nick Lodolo is not as famous. So you're just the people who follow prospects just for redraft have known who Hunter Green was for years and yeah. they are just now finding out about Nick Lodolo. So like I, I have Lodolo like 20 spots higher on my rankings than Hunter Green. And I have a ton of exposure to Lodolo and I've got a, I've got a few green in redraft, but not a ton. So I, my I, redraft, I didn't mean to interrupt you. My, we just did a, sh a show on in this league uh, call uh, our, our share shows, bold prediction and, sh and shares Nick Lodolo. I think, was like an over 50% share in my league. He was one of my, not the highest. I, I had like, you know, like three guys that I had the most shares of. It was like six or seven leagues. And then da da da. Lodolo was in the top tier of players in redraft I'm most exposed to this year. And I don't yeah. think I have a single Hunter Green. Yeah, I've got over 50% Lodolo in the NFBC. Uh, not, I don't have quite as much Lodolo as I do Reed Detmers, who's my most rostered Ooh. player in NFBC. But uh, Lodolo... Like to me, he's he's kind of right there now that he's in the rotation. Um, it's it's a it's a it's a bad team context, like it's bad funny. park, bad defense. Uh, but you know, I mean, you'll you'll take a picture with that kind of ceiling where you can get it. I think um, he'll be a really good cheap guy like Lodolo next year because probably going to have like a four ERA because of everything you just mentioned. But he has the intangibles, and the thing that people got to watch for. Hunter Green is sexy and big fastball, but you know, from day one, I had a guy tell me when he was out here in Loe, because I followed Hunter Green from the minute he got drafted. I've I've been around him. I was at the practice uh, where he blew out his arm. He was working on a side field and he came off kind of upset and he walked off. And then two days later, he was out. And I've been around him forever, but I've had people tell me as explosive as he is with the fastball, the problem is, is there's just not a lot of movement on it. You know, and the Reds have been really good about that. And you still see it. You know, you when you can pump 100, 101, but this isn't Emmanuel Class A, you know, throwing a 102 mile an hour cutter that moves, you know, from 
you know, one side of your body to the other. He's a pretty straight fastball. He will have success. He can blow it by. But is he going to be able to successfully pitch his secondaries to set that fastball up? Because guess what's going to happen? If it like this happened with Casey Mize, they're not the same. But like when Casey Mize couldn't use his splitter to set up the rest of his pitches, hitters just sat, didn't swing at the splitter, and they just waited for him to throw the fastball. And that's what'll happen if Hunter Green is not successful with his secondaries. People will just wait to hit this flat fastball that comes in 100, and they'll just change their timing. So I'm not saying that's going to happen. He's a he's a super smart guy, credible athlete. I think he could be an elite closer, but he still seems to have like the lack of movement thing that worries. And I just think he's going to get hit up a little bit more, where Lodolo, I think, has got better stuff kind of in general i think maybe a better sense of command and i think he's gonna i think he's going to do better this year and and you know obviously you and i are just more invested in him yeah um i think you nailed that uh so i just got two more questions for you uh the first one is i'm going to give you three prospects who uh maybe might all they're they're all just inside my top 100 but they might not be in your top 100 so they're they're like not as as flashy uh, but they all uh, are made the big league roster out of spring training. And I want you to pick one for 2022. Uh, Geraldo Perdomo with your Diamondbacks. Okay. Kyle Isbell with the Royals. Can I guess the last one? Yeah. Juan. Nope. Uh, oh, okay. That's it. Well, we can throw make it really can, tough. Let's, let's throw him into the mix too. Um, okay. Stephen Kwan and Diego Castillo with the Pirates. Oh, okay. Um, let me answer it first without Quan, because I'm going to tell you Quan is the answer of all of them. Okay. Without Quan, it's Perdomo. Um, Kyle Isbell's interesting, but I don't think he has the ability to take over. You've got Ed- Edward Oliveris. They got Michael Taylor. Oliveris, I think, is pretty under. I just don't. I don't see a spot where Isbell takes it over. I did see him in uh, BP a couple times, and I think I missed him in one of the games. I still like Oliveris. Uh, Castillo, I'm not, even though the playing time is interesting, I'm not, I don't have exposure for, for this year, but Perdomo, I do have exposure, especially in one of my NL leagues and a deeper league that I have where I missed out on shortstop because, you know, where I don't, I think he lacks in power, which is kind of unfortunate. I hope he gets to one of the things that stood out. He was, I think he was the youngest player in the AFL in 2019 when he was there. And there was one thing you could count on when he was in the lineup, he was getting a hit. He was going to make contact. He got a little more whippy after that, you know, being around guys like Vidal Brujan and he's got the helicopter whip on the back that I think, you know, getting some time in the majors and kind of reestablishing himself in the minors when he really struggled, I think he's going to find himself again. I think he's going to be a good contact hitter, a good source of runs. He can steal a bit. And I think he's a great defender. And you've got both Rojas and Ahmed that are going to miss time that, I really think the Diamondbacks should move on from Nick Ahmed because I don't, even though he's a gold glover, I don't think you miss that much from Perdomo. He's a fantastic defender. So of those guys, I'm going to bank on Perdomo. But Quan, I have a lot more investment on, even though I am not the big Quan guy, not going to try to pretend to be the, ooh, I've always been on Stephen Quan. Nope. I don't know where the counting stats are. I'm worried he's more Luisa Rise than he is, you know, the next Andrew Benintendi. But, He's going to be in the lineup, a prominent lineup. He makes fantastic contact. He hasn't shown off insane power or speed. So he's not going to be valuable if he hits 300 with six homers and seven stolen bases. 
but I'm banking on a little bit more and he's locked into a lineup, I think for the rest of the year. So in 2022, Quan is the answer. Perdomo, without him, it's Perdomo for me. See, I'm more confident in Isbell's playing time than Quan's playing time. I you think are? That, really? I, think that, I, I didn't know you were one of these Edward Olivares truthers, but... Um... I, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not necessarily a truther. It, it's in more that, like, I don't think they're convinced any of their guys work. I would throw out as well, don't discount Nick Prado getting some run in the outfield. They've got Dozier to play in the outfield. Also, don't throw out MJ Melendez, who could be a possibility for playing time. That's more of my thing. Isbell is, is you know, he's a better source of power and speed if you were given the full time. I just don't think he's going to get the full time. So, yeah, I guess we disagree on that. And then with Perdomo, uh, to quick bonus question. Uh, can you guess his career low walk rate? Oh, God. Um, probably 4%. 12.3%. What? That's, oh, that's, really? That's the lowest walk rate he's ever had. Uh, wow, oh, that I, surprises me. And I know that, you know, there's a lot that goes into walk rate in the minors. Like a lot of guys are too passive and that type of thing. But um, he's been young for every level he's ever played at. And he's struggled at some of those levels. Uh, he hasn't struggled much, but he, you know, he he was below league average at double A last year. Uh, he really came on strong towards the end of the year. So that like, I think you can kind of throw out his beginning of the year last year, but um, he could like, he could lead off for this team. And what, what are the, I think I'm, I think you're totally right on Nick Ahmed. Like what, what's the point of playing Nick Ahmed anymore for that team? He's kind of what's, proven exactly who he is. Yeah, Perdomo is at worst as good as Nick Ahmed, probably when you factor in offense. So um, I think Perdomo is going to be a popular waiver wire ad uh, in April. I agree. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, I've been mentioning about this. I'm not trying to turn into another guy, but like I saw in when TGFBI ran, you know, big industry league, uh, I saw one of the top guys on fab was uh, Stephen Kwan. Everyone was like, oh, we got to get Stephen Kwan now. And that was one I had drafted Stephen Kwan. So I was like, sweet. Don't have to worry about it. Perdomo is another one of those guys. I think just like you said, you're going to see the same thing where like I've picked him up in deeper leagues. I don't know if like 12 man leagues are going to pick him up, but he'll be a little bit more popular. Um, you know, especially if he kind of takes off. You never know without Rojas, without him, they might hit him high in the lineup, especially after the first week or so. You might get a lineup or two where they want to throw him out there. He just makes good contact. He, he's a sneaky dude. Okay. Uh, last question. Um, so that I am. You mentioned uh, Emmanuel Classe uh, briefly earlier. Uh, I'm back to ranking relief pitchers, and oh, there's one there's one relief pitcher uh, who made his team's big league bullpen out of spring training, but he had been developed as a starter up until this spring. I I know exactly. You're gonna do this who uh, is inside my top 150 now. And it's because I hated him as a starting pitching prospect because I just didn't think he was going to, like I didn't think the delivery or, or anything or the command worked as a starter. But now that he's in the bullpen, I'm I'm pretty excited. Uh, there's some injury risk here. He always seems to be banged up. But can you guess which recently converted reliever cracked my top 150 on this last update? Could his name be Mackenzie Gore? No, no. Uh, oh, no. I thought you were. I, no. I mean, I, go back and listen to yourself. That yeah, was no, that's, that's that hilarious. Was no, that's hilarious. Um, I no, I I do not think 
that regardless of how <laughs> Gore is used this year, I do not think the Padres are pulling the plug on him as a starter. But um, uh, okay, oh uh, yeah, I mean, so I think, this is I've, this is a guy where his his team I think has officially pulled the plug on him as a starter. Oh crud! Give He's me probably one. someone who's been on your top five hundred for either on it or just off it for maybe three or four years. And uh, actually I can give you an even better hint. Um, yeah, let's get it. He originally signed with the team you follow, the the Diamondbacks. He originally signed with the team I follow. He's, he's not, 24 years old. He's tw- And they committed to a relief. Oh, this is going to kill me. Um, I don't know. Give You're going to kick yourself. I'm going to be pissed. Oh, my, how pissed am I going to be? Hold on. Do I need to do one more? I feel like I'm going to be super pissed when you say this one. He was. I'm trade, trying to look. You know what I'm trying traded. to do? Okay. okay go ahead. Yeah. No. No. Go ahead. Keep talking. Um, to look. He was traded. Uh, can I get this trade right? Um, let's see. I think it was. Yeah. I think it was Eduardo Escobar. Yeah. He was in the Eduardo Escobar trade. Oh no, this guy isn't there either. Oh man, I'm so, I'm so done. This is gonna piss me. Is it? It's not Johan Duran, is it? Yeah, it's. Oh, it is Johan Duran. Okay, yeah, yeah. Well, because I thought Johan Duran was still a possibility because you were saying I must have missed that that they are fully committed to relief on him. I, well, um, I'm. That's me, sort of, maybe jumping to conclusions a little bit. I I know that he's not in their rotation. Um, so the fact that he made the big league roster. Um, and given his injury history, yeah. I'm quite confident that he will be a reliever from here on out. But thank God um, you let me do that, by the way. I would have been so mad had you not let me get there about Johan Duran. Yeah, he's got yeah. big fat. I know Eno has been, um, you know, touting him on his plus stuff, and Johan Duran has always had a big fastball. It makes sense, you know, the more that you say about it, like he makes more sense in the bullpen and could be a legit closing option in the future that, I mean, with, with, especially you see a lot of the plus stuff out there, but like with how he commands the ball with that big fastball, he's one of those guys. He's definitely one of those guys. It's crazy to see everybody else in on him and also makes me upset from the diamondbacks, but Oh man. So he's one fifty to you as strictly a reliever. If, if I, if I find out, tomorrow that they are going to send him a triple a and stretch him back out he's outside my top 200 but i like i think he has like top five closer type of upside if that role were to come about like an edwin diaz type it seems like you're i mean look like that that bullpen like i I think it's taylor rogers job but uh you know that's not a extremely settled bullpen and they've shown in the past that uh Taylor Rogers, they don't mind uh, kind of jerking him around a little bit. So, um, I that's a good I'm, one. I'm interested. I'm I'm very interested. And then kind of bonus twins guy. Uh, I'm I'm all in on uh, Josh Winder at this point. Uh, I think he's a he he's the type of pitching prospect who's in my top 100. Who I think you could still trade for and buy before uh, people really start to uh, freak out about him. But um, Exciting things happening with the the twins. Uh, which yeah, is not- and and also you know just a great point too. Of I said this a million times over. It's it's very interesting the evolution of ranking prospects and how they go and why it's important to you know find a couple sources that you really like because you know you have evolved and I think you have a very smart and great perspective, especially I think attuned to 
proximity even more where I still kind of fall into a territory. I, I have it built in, but I don't have it built into your degree, which, you know, might be not great in some areas, might be great in, in some type of dynasties, depending on the league that you play in, that, you know, you really are on a lot of those proximity guys and having that balance of like, you know, finding, you know, the younger guys and, and still having the value versus those guys. Like I don't have Winder high like you do. And, and, there's, and there's evolution of like, ranking guys who have more relief but can they be closers and still putting in the value you know that's something that we've got to we've kind of got to do as well so it's uh the evolution is good there's a well, lot more people in the space and hopefully people are finding you know a couple that they really want to dig into to help them make the decisions and as i mentioned in my article uh i i was i hit on emmanuel Classe to some extent i had him top 150 for a while but I also had like Brian Abreu and Sam Delaplane and James Karinchek and Joe Jimenez and Andres Munoz ranked in the top like 300 at, at certain Ooh, points. Andres so. Munoz is coming back though. He'll be back. I, yeah, that's a TBD. I think the other ones are misses, but uh, the Munoz one is is TBD. I just wish he wasn't the fifth closer in that bullpen. But um, yeah, I mean, I like Karinchek as well. There's some other guys. I rank them. I have Duran in my ranks. Um, uh, he was right outside the top 300. I saw him as a starting pitcher, but I, I rank some relief pitchers. I think Kevin Copps uh, is going to be a future closer with the Padres. Um, you know, I'd be interested of not going to go down this road, but like Camilo Duvall, you can't, you know, he's still, I think, prospect eligible and you he's, have to consider He's him. thankfully not prospect eligible for mine because I, I factor in the days on the active roster. So, oh, uh, but yeah, he's still, I think, via uh, MLB. Yeah, I don't right? have to rank yeah. Duvall and I don't have to rank Lars Newtbar. Uh, thank God. Lars, I, oh, you know what? Maybe I need to take the ball off. Good. I've been dying. I, I die for closers to come off of my product. So it's a, <laughs> the, the one thing, James and I's favorite thing on the planet is not so much. A, I'll tell you this right now. Everyone know this. It's not even being right on a prospect. Like we opened the show, Julio Rodriguez being number one for us forever. Not that he's been a big deal, but you know, where others had other guys and or Bobby Witt or even some others, you know, Adley, our favorite thing on the planet is taking off a pesky prospect off your list. There's no better feeling than deleting a guy that you're sick of trying to figure out how to evaluate, whether it's major league time or positional stuff. It's the best feeling on the planet is taking off guys that you're just, you feel it's, it's almost like a, a monkey's off your back. You're just like, Oh my God, this is great. Everything, everything is possible now in the world because Francisco Mejia is no longer on our list for multiple years. Shout, shout out Joey Bart, Luis Capusano, AJ Puck and Dalton Jeffries. Yeah. All right. Um, <laughs> thanks a lot, Welsh. This was a ton of fun. Uh, why don't you let people know where they can support you and, and find your work? Yeah, dude, I appreciate it. Uh, in this league.com is the Patreon for, I do a lot of dumb stuff now, uh, in this league, fantasy baseball podcast. I also have prospect one, which you guys probably care about. Those are two, my own two podcasts in this league.com is the Patreon where I've got my top 500 prospect list, which is updated monthly. will be by monthly or bi-weekly uh now that the season's starting i've got a dynasty top 400 i've got a prospect top 280p on there i got a whole bunch of other stuff we've also got group me rooms which is similar to discord if people want to come and hang out uh, we've got a prospect room i do a whole bunch of other stuff and i'm also now on fantasy pros three times a week with joe pizapia uh, on the daily show where you know i'll be able to hopefully talk about prospects and talk about other stuff so you can check that out on the podcast and the youtube and just anytime I get to do podcasts with you, I'm always happy. So thanks, man. I appreciate it. This was a ton of fun, and I will uh, probably be bugging you again now that now that I'm riding solo here. I'm, I'm sure I'll have you on a few more times. Yeah, baby. Yeah. Oh, I know. I miss Clay. Should we talk? Should we talk about a hip hop album real quick? 
<laughs> so we, I was a Tupac guy. Yeah. Me against the world. Me against the world. Greatest Tupac. Everyone says uh, all eyes on me, but yeah, you're wrong. Me against mm. the world. Greatest Tupac album. I think that was uh, before it went uh, um, death row. That's a that's a good call. Uh, Brenda's got a baby. That might be one of the all time songs too. I've always been a All Eyes on Me guy, but love um, it. I think I think Tupac's early work doesn't get doesn't get enough play. Uh, yeah, digital. I mean, it was Digital Underground before, and like Me Against the World. I, if I remember correctly, was his first album, and it had more of like uh, like I I like that type of like soulful like like most def uh, Talib Kweli like Black Star like those were yeah. that's what I grew up with. And it kind of had some more of that feeling and me against the world. Like I haven't listened to it in a long time, but I could put it on and I would remember every little bit of it. All eyes on me is amazing. And it has the classics, but I felt like all eyes on me was for everybody. And me against the world was for me. Like it's that type of album. If you know what I'm saying? Yeah. All eyes on me is a, is a party album and me against the world is a, is a chilling album. For yeah. Sure. And I'm more of a chilling type of a guy, especially if, if I'm reading off some of those guys. So, all right. So we got some of it in. hopefully someone's there happy. We we did uh, that was, that was paying homage to, to the great clay link. The uh, great clay link. All right, man. Really appreciate it. I will Thanks, talk to you soon. This has been the Rotowire prospect podcast brought to you by WinBet. Mother's day is almost here and you can get her the most beautiful time tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried and true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.